give you an update, tell you uh, what's been going on with her, what is coming, what's on the docket as far as uh, her healing is concerned. But before we do that, I'd like to pray with you, have a word of prayer with you. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you. Your presence is here. We, we feel it. We, we know it. Deep inside of us, Lord, our spirits are rejoicing and jumping up and down for joy because we know you're here. Now, Lord, what we pray tonight is that you would speak to our hearts. You would infuse us with your heavenly gift of wisdom and understanding, insight. Give us your heart for the things that your heart beats for. Give us your passion. Let us have your perspective. See things the way you see them. And Lord, pursue them with the purpose that only you can build inside of your children. Tonight, Lord, we're not our own. We've been bought with a price. Speak to us, lead us, guide us as one of yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, yes, I can't believe it's been four months, almost, just another week and a half. And before that, in the fall, we were up here for a couple of months as well while Eileen was getting all of the preliminary testing done in order to qualify as a kidney transplant candidate. And we're thanking the Lord that she did qualify and that a friend of hers and ours for four decades um, came to Eileen and said that she would like to give her a kidney. And Eileen tells the story that years ago when they first met, um, Eileen won't tell you this, but it's, they were in a Christian commune. <laughs> this goes way back in the Jesus people days. Eileen felt led to give this Debbie Green, go and buy her a Coke and take it to her. And when she went to buy her a Coke and give it to her, uh, she was all excited about it because in this communal living environment in the Jesus people days, uh, they had very few resources, so on and so forth. So, they became fast friends forever after. Now, when this kidney business started, um, the Lord dropped it in Debbie's heart that she was going to give a kidney. And then after the transplant happened and Eileen was up walking the hall in the hospital and Debbie was in bed with pain, Debbie said to Eileen, you know, uh, that was a very expensive Coke. <laughs> a kidney for a Coke is a pretty pretty big exchange. Well, Eileen was, received a transplant on the 20th of January and is, was doing very well and uh, in, just increasing in strength and we're very grateful for all that God's doing. We had a bit of a setback last week and Eileen had to be hospitalized and uh, she was in the hospital over the weekend and, dis, and then discharged on Tuesday. She has an infection that just doesn't want to go away, doesn't know that it's not welcome. And so we're trying to convince it to leave. So when she was discharged from the hospital, they put her on three weeks of intravenous IV antibiotic therapy, which takes us up to May 2nd. We have tickets to leave on May 3rd. So we're hoping and praying that all of this is going to work out. We are anxious to get back into where God has placed us and what we're called to do. But I, I cannot, we cannot leave without thanking you, the church body for all that you have done. And I think if I start to name names, I'm going to forget some, but they're all, all those that have, have prepared meals, and uh, Laura, like you and others that are here, prepared meals and brought them to us, uh, 
in those early days and weeks uh, after the surgery. And uh, the church has been absolutely wonderful in helping us uh, with all the logistics of transportation and so many things, and just standing behind us 100% as they have done all these years. And the people here that have been together in prayer, just as a chorus of prayer has been lifted up to, to heaven constantly and just continually bombarding heaven. And, and even then when problems come, I like to always say, well, just think of what might have happened had no one, else, had no one prayed. So much worse. God is on the throne and working things out and just orchestrating all of this. If we'll let it play out in our lives and, and let God be God and side with Him and then realize there are some questions that are going to be answered later rather than sooner, we understand God is on our side and He's not doing anything to harm us. That everything that's happening in our lives is working out for our good that what the enemy has attempted to steal, God is going to turn around for his glory. We feel that very strongly. So thank you, church. Thank you, pastoral staff. Thank you, all those that have been working so hard uh, behind the scenes and in front and everywhere that you go to, uh, to, to see that, that this church exists and that it's a place where we can come and be a part of a family. Now, this is Mission Sunday. You know, I wasn't conscious of that, but every time I prayed, Lord, what do you want me to share? I kept coming back to a mission-centered message. And I suppose you should have taken that, uh, you should have thought that. You, you wouldn't be surprised by that, given the fact that um, we are who we are. That's kind of in our blood and uh, in our bloodstream. So I would like to take you to the world. Now there's a phrase that you're going to see on the, on the uh, screen. The whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. Now that phrase is not original with me. It's actually part of the Lausanne Conference. And if you've read anything, heard anything, that, gosh, that phrase comes through loud and clear all the time. The whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. But I would like to take that phrase and just burn it into your hearts and minds because that is the call of God upon our lives. And there's nothing that happens that can distract us or destroy us. For us personally, disease, illness, whatever has come our way, is not going to dislodge us from that place where God has put us. Now let's go on to the next slide. And uh, you'll see I have three verses that I would like to hang our thoughts on tonight. And the first one is found here in Matthew 9.36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Let's go on to the next. And after this, it says, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation every, and all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Now I'm going to read some parts of that, the verses to follow that aren't up on the board. And crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Revelation 7, 9 through 12. Powerful verses. Can't you just get... You just get caught up in them when you read them. They become a revelation to our heart. And then thirdly, Mark 16, 15, go into all the world 
and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Now, the first thing I'd like to just draw our attention to, friends, is that God wants us to have the right perspective on what's happening in the world and in our lives. Perspective, vision, calls us. When we see things the way God sees them, when we look at things the way God looks at them, when we're able to view the world the way the world is, as God sees the world, something happens inside of us. We're all going to respond uniquely according to the gifts and callings that have been put within our lives. What I decide to do about what I see may be different from what you will do. But if you see what God sees, you will do something. The second thing is that we need purpose. The purpose of God. When we see the world as it is with the perspective of heaven, the purpose that is birthed in us will drive us forward. It'll drive us out of mediocrity. It'll drive us out of our comfort level. It'll drive us away from the things of the present and the past, and it will spur us on to do what we haven't done, to believe God what we haven't believed Him for, to sacrifice in ways that we haven't sacrificed up till now, and to do what we can to make the vision a reality. Now in Matthew 28, 19, what does it tell us? To go therefore and make disciples of all nations. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he saw all nations. He saw the world globally. He saw the whole world. And those nations are not geographical. They aren't geopolitical entities as we define them today. They are ethnic groups. Jesus looking at the world and dividing it up into those particular ethnic groups where people are brought together by common language, culture, something that unites them, brings them together, and separates them from others. And that there are over 16,000 of these ethnic groups in the world. 16,000 of them. Many of them are under 10,000 people in population. And when we think about the world, a third of the world hasn't yet been, hasn't been, ever been presented with a clear, concise, coherent, logical, biblical in presentation of who Jesus is. It's one thing to hear, he's a prophet. It's another thing to hear, he's a teacher. Another thing to hear, he's a holy man. It's another thing, many religions have many names and, and for him, but to hear what he is, and who he is. 30% of the world, estimates project, have not yet had that opportunity. How many times have we heard the gospel? Over and over and over and over and over and over again. The beauty is in the simplicity. The power is in the truthfulness of it. And unless that gospel gets to the 30% of the world that is living in an area where the gospel witness is non-existent or dim, or where there are no Christian workers to take the gospel to them, then they will pass from this life into the next, into a Christless eternity. All nations. 
taken the gospel to the nations. Who's going to do that? It's the church. It's the whole church. How many are here a part of the church? Now, the church we're talking about, as pastor has eloquently expounded on other occasions, it's not a religious body. It's not a, it's not a 501c3 corporation. It isn't a legal entity. The church is an organism, not an organization. It's a, it's a gathering of the followers of Christ who have been born again by the Spirit of God and who have, because they have been born from above, are now one with God and one with each other and have decided to follow Him and live under the discipline of the teachings of the one who called them and set them free. How many disciples do we have here tonight? We're part of the body of Christ. But the church is a one church. It is the whole church in time. When we think about the whole church, it isn't just the church today. It is the church that came before us and the church that will come after us. We are doing what we're doing, building and standing on the shoulders and, and foundations laid by those who have come before us. The Joshua is on the shoulders of the Moses of our day. But we are also laying foundation stones and building stones that will be built upon by our successors and those who come after us. Paul said, take heed how you build. I think we need to build with an eye to the past and an eye to the future. Knowing that we are here and give credit to where credit is due. Stand on the shoulders of those that have come before us and build cautiously, carefully, and consistently. Knowing that those who come after us will either have to pick up the pieces or move forward with the encouragement that we have been able to give them by the works that we have laid down through our life. What works are we laying down through our lives? It's the whole church in time. It's the whole church in space. It's geographically, globally, the church. It isn't just here locally in one location. We're talking the church is a multicolored, multifaceted, multicultural, multilingual body of believers of all ages, young and old, who have been brought together and called out from the world to surrender to Christ and they are in almost every nation on the face of the earth. It is the most active, glorious thing in this life to know that we have people who are one with us in spirit in every corner of the globe. That they are looking to you and, you are, and that we should be looking to them, knowing that maybe the solutions to the problems we have are found out there rather than right here. Maybe the solutions to the problems we have. We should be sitting at the feet of a brother from Sri Lanka. We should maybe be listening to the teachings of pastors in China, in the underground church. Maybe the wisdom that we need to solve our problems are found in those who are teaching the underground church in Saudi Arabia. Maybe the greatest wisdom of the hour that we need desperately we will not have unless we begin to connect with the whole church in time and the whole church in space and the whole church in kind, diversity. We're not all the same. You go to, you go to Bangladesh, the church looks one way. You go to the south part of India, it looks another. 
You visit some of the areas in the north of India, another. You go to Eastern Europe, it's Southeast Asia. The church looks differently wherever you go. They may not worship exactly the same way. They may pray differently. They may preach sitting down. They may... The cultural, all of it changes, but it's still the same. The church, one in time. The church in space. The church in kind. It's a diverse church. And it's that diversity that we need. And as the world begins to shrink, we're going to come face to face with it more and more and more because the future of the church is as a global church. And we need to connect to it globally and see what God can do. Now, God's interested in reaching every person on the planet. How many of you would agree that His will is that none should perish? I remember a story that Dick Eastman tells. It is every home for Christ. Getting literature, getting the gospel into every home around the world. Whether it's an adobe hut, whether they live in trees, whether they live in a wood house, or a cement one. Whatever kind of house it is, get the good news into those homes. He tells a story of one of his workers in India that was sent to a village to spread the gospel and take take the literature they had to every home, absolutely every home, leave no home untouched. And he went. He rode his bicycle to that village and he visited every house he could find and he was coming to the end of the day and he was growing weary and he had He thought he had found every place he could with the gospel. And as he was getting ready to round the corner and get on his bicycle again, he looks up on this very tall hill. One more house. And he thought to himself, no, it's okay. I don't need to visit that house. I have visited every other house. Every house I have been able to visit, yes, I have done what I came here to do. That one is okay. He rounds the corner and looks at his bicycle, and it is a flat, he has a flat tire. And so he asks around. Oh, he's asking, do you have a bicycle pump? No, I do not. Do you have a bicycle pump? No, I do not. He finally finds somebody, and he says, do you have a bicycle pump? And he says, no, I do not, but I know where you can find one. It's in the house on the hill. We can run, but you cannot hide. (laughs) God sometimes has a purpose and a plan, and it's so strong on your life that He will bend, He will stop the sun in its tracks to give you the time you need to accomplish what He's called you to do. How many of you would like God to stop the sun in its tracks? Maybe not, because that means you'd have to work more during the day. But if God found it necessary, believe me, he would do it. But what are we going to do and take? We have the perspective. It's global. We have our purpose to get to every creature with the gospel, every nation. But what are we taking to them? It's the whole gospel. It isn't a partial gospel. Is it Richard Stearns from World Vision has that book, The Whole in the Gospel? 
It's about leaving out the essential parts of what the gospel is. The good news of Jesus Christ. And the good news, when it takes root in our hearts as believers, the whole gospel begins to show itself through us. It's a manifestation of the love of God through the words and deeds of his people. Through what Jesus made possible, through his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. Taking the whole gospel, not just the favorite part of the gospel. There are people who have a hobby horse gospel. They have one doctrine they like, and that's what they read about, that's what they preach about, that's what they teach about. But that's a partial gospel. We need the whole gospel. We need the part that heals and the part that hurts. The part that comforts and the part that crucifies. If in your study of the gospel and your propagation of the gospel you never feel pain, you might not be sharing the whole gospel. If in your exposure to the word of God you do not feel like you have been under the knife, maybe it's not the whole gospel. Like they told Eileen, when you wake up from surgery, you're going to feel like somebody cut you open. Oh, that's a (laughs) no-brainer. Because somebody did. (laughs) The whole gospel is not our favorite part. It's every part. And it is the part that you play and I play and everyone around us plays. We shouldn't have our favorites. We should work and complement what each one is doing. Look at the gifts that are in the people around you. What are your giftings? There's a place for your giftings beyond perhaps what you've even imagined. Just need to use a little more imagination. We have a friend, his name is Clayton. He had a business, he's about 75. He has a well drilling business. He has spent his whole adult life drilling wells for a living. Did quite well at it, no pun intended. But as God got a hold of his life and he gave himself to Christ, he discovered that maybe he wasn't a preacher, teacher, evangelist. But you know what? He found that God could use the gifts and talents he already had but putting them to a slightly different use. And now he goes and has for the past 20 years gone around the world drilling wells in remote areas of the world where they do not have drinkable water. Think of it. What gifts do you have? What card do you have in your wallet? What gifts do you have in your heart that can be of use to others? Now, quickly, I would like to go over a few statistics, some of which you have seen here, perhaps, and some of which you might not. But it is an attempt to give us a view of the world, because we have a view of the world that often does not fit very well into what's really out there. Now, these statistics, we don't have anything up here on drug trafficking, on human trafficking, the slave trade, sex trade, all these other ills that we could pull out of the archives of files and find. But these are some that should take us, make us stand up and take notice. We complain about our wages. 40% of the world's population earns less than $2 a day. 
15% less than $1 a day. 4.5% of the world's population earns at least $105 a day. There's a great disparity. And you can imagine how they are living, that 40% and that 15%. Let's go on to the next. Hunger. All of us probably had more than we needed to eat today. But in the world, one in four children living in developing countries are underweight. Why? They don't have enough food to eat. 350 to 400 million children are hungry. Almost 25,000 children die every day from hunger or one of its causes. Nine million children a year dying because of this. Almost five million people die every day from diseases related to problems with water. Lack of water, dirty water, diarrhea, parasites, and all these things that you can trace back to water. Either poor water supply or lack of water supply. Rather sobering, I think, when we think about these statistics. Some others that I don't think are up on the board. We find that um, malaria... 500 million new cases a year. One to two. It's been estimated that maybe one out of every two deaths in history are attributable to malaria. Think about what a cure would mean. But often the disease is rampant in countries that are not very viable economically, and it, it, it doesn't draw the attention of the developed world the way it does. Is there room for the healing of Jesus in today's world? Is there a response the church could make to the world that is sick and dying around us. AIDS, 33 million people infected globally, 70% of them live in Africa. Two million deaths a year, and there are over 15 million orphans left because parents infected with AIDS died. I can't imagine that, but that's the reality some people wake up with and go to bed with. And there's so much more tuberculosis, Rampant refugees and displaced persons, more than 35 million, 34 million refugees in the world be due to dis or displaced because of wars. Think about natural disasters, Haiti, now Japan. Think of these places and what it means. Now think about this, if you will. The problems where these, the areas of the world where these problems exist in greatest intensity are the areas where they've been least evangelized. Where the gospel has had the least impact, these problems are the greatest. Greatest poverty, malnutrition, all these social indices are high and off the charts in areas where the gospel has been kept out. Why? Because the enemy knows that when Jesus comes into a city, a town, a country, everything improves. The quality of life, hope replaces hopelessness. Hospitals are built, orphanages are built, rescues are... The heart of God is played out in society as people see something they want to do to create a better world around them. That's the gospel at work. And so much else that's in the world, they're just copycatting. Playing off of what Jesus started and what his people began. 
Does it make a difference to get the gospel where it's not been? You bet it does. The whole gospel, the whole church, to the whole world. I believe that if God has called us to this, we can do it. And if we capture the perspective, the vision of the world as it is, and as it could be, and as it will be. Remember Revelation 7, 9. Every tribe, kindred, nation, and tongue are going to be there. That tells us we will have done our job. But I would like for us to be able to say we did it quicker because God quickened in us the want to and gave us the how to. And we responded with the will to see it through. And God's challenge to us tonight is that we will let him use us and our gifts in ways that perhaps we haven't even imagined and be open to his purposes in your life. Don't dismiss what you have accomplished thinking maybe this doesn't really affect the gospel. You have something that God wants. And you have something you can give that will make a life or death difference in the people you're going to meet. Can we stand? Perspective calls us, we see what's out there, creates a sense of purpose in us, and that drives us to do something. We understand. And when that passion takes root, we need a lightning bolt from heaven. Sometimes we just need a Lord, let the fire fall on me. My heart is full of your word and the anointing of the oil of your spirit. Set it on fire. Now let's pray tonight. And as we pray, I want you, as an act of worship to the Lord, to from the bottom of your heart say, Lord, here am I. My life, use me. And the gifts I have been given to make a difference somewhere in this world. Can we pray? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, the name above every name that has defeated every foe and purchased for us victory that overcomes death and every other thing that raises up against us to separate us from your love. You have made us one with you, and as believers we are one with each other and have been given a common task to take your word and the good news of Jesus and our redemption to every living creature and show them how they can become followers of you. Use our lives, Lord, and take from us some of those gifts 
and shine your heavenly light upon them so that we can see them in a new way. And tell us now, Lord, what to do with them. That we might know how we might serve you in fresh ways, in deeper ways, in more consecrated ways. And do so until the end of our days. Be glorified, Lord, in us, through us, and those around us. And may your blessing fall upon them until every person is heard that you are Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.